Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis 18. You'll find it on page 15. First of all, I'm going to read um, verses 1 and 2, and then following on from that, uh, verses 16 to 33, which is just over the page on page 16. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill a righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to God's word this morning, let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do so thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you've not left us in the dark, but rather 
we, through your word, can come to know who you are and your will for our lives. Father, we pray that might be the case this morning, that we might learn more of you and understand more as to how we should live our lives in response to what you have done for us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I hadn't been to an NRL game for many years until recently and I went along to uh, see this game, the uh, Eels and uh, the Rabbitohs. And what I realised that I'd been missing, which is the great advantage of going along live to a game, is that you have the opportunity to have all the expert opinion around you. They, people, I found, are very comfortable in sharing their insights into the game and their assessment of how things are going in terms of players, and they are particularly happy to give you commentary about how they think the ref is doing. Uh, so you don't, you don't get that, just watching on the telly. I can't repeat a lot of what the commentary was that was around me as I sat there in the stands, but there was a refrain that came out, and this was it. That's not fair. That's not fair. That was the kind of theme of the commentary that I was getting from the people around me. In the second half of Genesis 18, Abraham's question to the Lord brings into focus this question of fairness. This is the question. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked or will there be some distinction between the way you treat the righteous and the wicked? So Abraham's question, of course, gives rise to another question. Who's righteous and who is wicked? So time for a moment of uh, quick self-reflection. Which category are you in? Are you good? Are you righteous? As I look out before me, I think some of you will be old enough to remember the days before Netflix where we used to go down to the video store and hire a, uh, a videotape or even a, a DVD in more recent times. And when you popped that tape into your VCR player, there was a, a little anti-piracy message that used to come up before the beginning of every video. And it went uh, like this, you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a handbag, you wouldn't steal a television, you wouldn't steal a movie. But the logic of it was that you are basically good, so be consistent and be good when it comes to not being a thief by downloading movies. Genesis 18 and 19 challenged that very basic premise. What do you think? Are you righteous? Are you good enough to warrant God not nuking you? Or are we all deserving of God's punishment? How should a good and just and merciful God treat you? And should the righteous and the wicked be treated the same? So in Genesis 18, the passage we've just had read for us, Abraham looks down at Sodom and he knows this place is wicked. By any objective measure, Sodom was a wicked city. We see that in earlier chapters. We see glimpses of that in earlier chapters of Genesis. 
But by the time we get to Genesis 18 and 19, it is crystal clear. Downloading videos illegally would not have even registered on the radar of the wickedness that was going on in Sodom. They were truly a wicked city. And I think this is part of our problem. That can make us feel a bit smug. We can think, you know, compared to the people of Sodom, I am uh, not wicked at all. In fact, just between you and me, compared to a number of other people I know in Willoughby, I'm actually not that bad at all. We make this comparison in our righteousness to other people and it's not hard, is it, to find someone who's not as righteous as I am and so I usually do the right thing. I pay taxes, I don't speed and I separate my recycle into the different bins. I'm basically a righteous person. I'm basically good. Is that right? God made promises to Abraham. We've seen those promises as you've been working through these earlier chapters of Genesis. He made the promises. He reiterated the promises. He illustrated the promises. We see that God is Abraham's chosen servant, the one who will direct God's people. And this is what he has directed them. It's in verse 19 there. To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. But what is that? What is right and just? What is fair? Who determines what is right and who determines what is just? Is it what the law says? Well, you could argue that, but of course laws change over time. We had a, uh, a same-sex marriage uh, plebiscite and as a result laws changed. New South Wales changed its laws on abortion. Laws change over time. So maybe not law, what about social mores? We'll just look at what society says. Surely that is the way to go, but Societal views, of course, change over time as well. Or is it the Bible? Is that what we use? What is it that we use for this measure of what is right and just? When we have alignment between these three things, between what the law says and what society says and what the Bible says, then it's a bit more straightforward, isn't it? So let me give one example. Murder. The law says murder is wrong, society says murder is wrong, and the Bible says murder is wrong, so that's clear, murder is wrong, it should be punished. Is it that simple? What about late-term abortion? How is that any different? You see, these issues are complex. Even more complex situation that we face every day as a Christian is when there is not alignment between what the law says and what society says and what the Bible says, then which way do we turn? Promiscuity. The law says it's fine. Society says it's fine. The Bible says, no, it's 
of sin. Almost without exception, as we think about the whole host of issues that each of faces every day, there is at least some lack of alignment between what the law says, what society says, and what the Bible says. So let me just give you a few that come to mind. Materialism, eating meat, vaping, smoking dope, economic servitude, prostitution, adultery, gross wealth disparity, use of fossil fuels, gambling, gossip, pornography, abortion, same-sex marriage, taxes, tariffs, immigration, evangelism, vaccinations, you name it, there'll be some difference between what the law says, what society says, and what the Bible says. So what is right and what is just? And you see, this is where the rubber hits the road for Christians. In Genesis 18, we see where justice meets wickedness. Verse 20, the Lord sees how wicked Sodom is, how grievous their sin is. But Abraham pleads with God, even though this city is so wicked, objectively wicked. He pleads with them, pleads with God not to destroy Sodom. And he, he does that on the basis of two things. These are the things. Firstly, he says, it's not right to destroy the righteous with the wicked. That is, it's not right to treat the righteous and the wicked the same. And secondly, that's in verse 25. Secondly, also in verse 25, he says the character of God is to do right, and by that, Abraham means that God should be merciful. So how should God's justice and mankind's wickedness come together? Abraham argues that God should show mercy to the righteous, sounds fair enough, but that his mercy then should flow over to those who aren't righteous. So Abraham is really arguing that the righteous minority and the wicked majority should be treated the same. That is, they all should be spared from judgment on the basis of the righteousness of a few. So have a think about his argument. What do you think about Abraham's argument? Should the righteous and the unrighteous be treated the same? That is, should they all be forgiven or should they all be punished? Or should only the unrighteous be punished and the righteous forgiven? We know what happens in our society and I think we know what we generally want. We want the guilty punished and we want the innocent set free. Uh, the recent case of Kathleen Folbig, a good illustration. If she is guilty of murder of her children, she should be punished. But if she is innocent, she should be free. We'll come to the Bible's answer in a moment, but notice first the interaction 
that occurs between God and Abraham, this negotiation, if you like. Those of us who are parents or uh, grandparents would have experienced uh, this, the kind of uh, negotiation, as it were, that occurs when we have children. It's been said that if a young girl wants a kitten for her birthday, she should ask her parents for a pony. See how that works? Abraham asks, Lord, will you spare the city if there are 50 righteous persons? And the Lord's response, verse 26 of Genesis 18, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Okay, Lord, so you'll spare the whole of the city all of them on the basis of a minority, just 50, 50 righteous persons. Lord, what about if there's only 45 righteous people? Yes, says the Lord. What about if there's only 40? Yes, I will spare all on the basis of just 40, says the Lord. What about if there's only 30 Yes, I will spare all on the basis of just 30. Lord, what about if there's only 20? Yes. What about if only 10 can be found? Verse 32, the Lord answered, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy Sodom. So this agreement seems to support this premise that it is not right to destroy the righteous with the wicked and the character of God is to do right, to be just and merciful. Abraham knows the depravity of Sodom and he knows that God is utterly and totally good in his character and just in all his actions. But notice this, Abraham was wrong-headed, not wrong-hearted in his assertion that ten righteous people could be found in Sodom. And he was also wrong in asserting that the righteous won't necessarily suffer with the unrighteous. They do. They do. We know that, don't we? Sometimes the righteous suffer and the unrighteous do not. Sometimes both do. The Lord Jesus made clear in, uh, in Luke when he spoke about the Tower of Siloam, he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Jesus said, I tell you, no. But he reminded them, unless you repent, you too will perish. You too will all perish. God is just and God is sovereign but that does not mean that the righteous won't suffer in this world. Are not Christians and non-Christians killed by the same bombs in Ukraine, by the same bushfires in Canada or the same bus crash in India? Have Christians too not suffered and died of COVID-19? Yes, sadly. Neither bombs nor viruses discriminate on the basis of sex or ethnicity or religious conviction. 
But, friends, it does impact Christians and non-Christians differently. For those in Christ have a different perspective. If we are in Christ, if we put our trust in Jesus, then we are not looking just to the here and now. We are looking beyond to the sure and certain hope that we have in Christ. As Christians, we look beyond the grave for hope. We have God's solution. God has provided for us the once and for all solution for all mankind. Firstly, we're reminded by the Apostle Paul as he writes in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who seeks God, no one who understands. All have turned away. There is no one righteous, he says, not even one. So you look around this room and you think there's some really good people in this room and that is true. But by our own actions, none of us are in that category of righteous. We are all in the other category of unrighteous. Therefore, we are all deserving of God's punishment. But the beauty of the gospel is that if we have faith in Jesus, then he has paid that price for us through his death so that we can be forgiven for our sins and reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. But he writes, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, Abraham could not have understood that in its entirety as he lived so long before the Lord Jesus came. But the Lord Jesus makes so clear for us in his own words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Jesus asks? Friends, that's the question for all of us this morning. Do you believe Jesus' words? Do you believe that by trusting in Jesus and his death, your sins have been paid and you have assurance of being reconciled to God and eternal life. You have assurance that you, as an unrighteous person by your own actions, can be treated as righteous. The Apostle Peter writes this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Here is God's solution, God's solution for our unrighteousness is his son, the righteous one. Car crashes and COVID and cancer kill the righteous and the unrighteous. But those who have been declared righteous by faith in Jesus have his assurance that our life does not end in an icy ward or in a coffin, but in the paradise of eternity with God. Meanwhile, we live in this broken and complex world, and we seek to live righteous lives in response to what Jesus has done for us. 
we seek to live lives that bring glory to God and show others of our faith in the Lord Jesus as we await that glorious day of his return. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be forgiven for our sins and declared righteous by you, by faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus. As we live now in this complex, in this broken world, please give us wisdom. Wisdom to know what is right and just and loving. And Father, we pray, please, in the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the courage and conviction to live in a way that brings glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.